0: Well, in the afternoon services here in Owen Sound, we've been doing a, a series going through the Apostles' Creed, which is a, a creed which explains what we believe. And this afternoon, we're, we're up to the section which explains what we believe concerning the, the church. And in preparation for that, I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn, first of all, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, verse 35, we'll read through to chapter 10, verse 6. So Matthew 9, starting at verse 35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, Like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, the names of the twelve apostles are these first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go. Into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So far from the book of Matthew, let's also turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. John, chapter 10, let's read verse 7 to 18. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, and that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Let's skip ahead to verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand I and my Father are one. Let's also turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read a few verses from that chapter as well. Ephesians 4 verse... Let's read from verse 7 to 16. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles By the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the Head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which each part does its share, causes growth of the body, for the edifying of itself in love. So far, our Scripture reading. Let's also turn to the Confession of the Church. This afternoon we'll be looking at Lord's Day 21 in the the Heidelberg Catechism. In the Book of Praise you can find that on page 535. This afternoon we're going to be looking at the first two questions and answers about the Church and the communion of saints. Let's read that together. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself, by his spirit and word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. And second, that everyone is duty-bound to use His gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. Well, dear congregation of Jesus Christ, this afternoon we're going to be looking at this article about the Christian church. And when you think of the church, what do you think of? You think of a, a group of people who have gathered together. Or maybe you've had past experiences in church which, which are not so pleasant. Because the church is full of people and the church is also full of sinful people. So this afternoon I'd like to, to take the picture of a building and use that to, as a lens through which to look at this confession. There's a building in, in northern Germany situated, situated on the river Cologne. It's a massive cathedral. They started building this, this church, this cathedral, in the year 1248. And it took generations of men to finish this church, this cathedral. More than 600 years it took before this building was finished. And now on the banks of the Cologne River, this, this building it stands over 150 meters tall. It's the second largest church in Europe. It has two spires. It's, it's an impressive and beautiful building. And just think of all the, the generations of men who, who worked on this building, on this church. Fathers and sons and, and their sons and, and their sons' sons, they would have all worked on this same building. Some men would have spent their entire lives just working on a single spire, a single part of that building. As this project was huge, it spanned multiple generations. And the end result of of all of this work was that magnificent building, a spectacular piece of architecture. And friends, this gives a, a glimpse into what the church is. The church of Jesus Christ is his great masterpiece. He is the master builder and he is working to create something which is far more spectacular than that cathedral on the banks of the Cologne River. To build this great masterpiece, the church, he's using the lives of countless people throughout the centuries. People like Elijah, whom we heard about this morning. We also heard about Obadiah, God is also using men like him, his servants. God uses people like the Apostle Paul, Augustine, Augustine's mother who prayed for him so fervently. And Hudson Taylor, who was their great missionary to China. God uses people from from many different countries, people from Zimbabwe to Venezuela to Ontario. He uses people from many different languages, people from Pakistani to Portuguese. He uses people who do all different sorts of things with different abilities and talents, from excavator operators to engineers. And he even uses you and me. And the end result of of this great work spanning multiple generations is the masterpiece the church of jesus christ and so today we're going to be looking at lord's day 21 to be amazed at this great masterpiece of our lord jesus christ with this theme the lord jesus builds his church we're going to look at three things we're going to look at the master of the church and we'll look at membership of the church and finally we look at ministry in the church so the lord jesus builds his church let's first of all look at who the master of the church is well, the master of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you remember from Lord's Day 19 a few weeks ago, we looked at the article about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, and we saw that he is also the head of his church. He's the master. Acts 20:28, 20, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock whom Jesus has obtained with his own blood. So Jesus has died for every believer, for you and me. And he has died for the whole church. So he has bought the church to be his own possession. He is the master of the church. And that right away makes a difference for how we think about the church, doesn't, doesn't it? Because the church is not a, a human organization just based on a common interest, like a, a soccer league. Or it's not a big company we all happen to have a membership in, like Costco. Or it's not a, a place where we go to get entertainment, it's not a place where we go just to hang out with our friends either. It's not a coffee shop. In fact, the, the church is not primarily horizontal at all. But the church belongs to Jesus, and it exists for the vertical worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. So what we do here today, it's all for Jesus. As the Catechism says, the Son of God gathers, defends, and preserves for Himself his church the church exists for his glory he is the master of the church and as the master of his church he gathers defends and preserves her so first of all he gathers his church you read from that famous passage at the end of Matthew 9 where Jesus looks at the crowds and the multitudes of people and then his heart just goes out to them in compassion because he says they're like sheep without a shepherd And then Jesus says these memorable words to them. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. First of all, it's noteworthy that he calls it his harvest because he is the master of the church. As we have seen, it's his project. He is the one who gathers his church. And Jesus' application for his disciples is is very interesting, isn't it? You might expect Jesus to say something like this. The harvest is plentiful. There's people all around the world dying without the gospel. So go to seminary. Go and start preaching. That's not what Jesus tells his disciples. In fact, he tells them, first of all, to pray. He tells them to fall on their knees and appeal to Jesus because he is the master of his harvest. He is the one who gathers his church. Well, today the harvest is still plentiful, friends. I recently heard a statistic that said in the world there are 1.5 billion Muslims, 1.5 billion Hindus, 500 million Buddhists, and 86% of all of these, that's 3.1 billion people, Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists, don't personally know a single Christian. The Joshua Project similarly suggests there's more than 3 billion people in the world who have never heard the gospel. The harvest is plentiful. Well, the application for Jesus' disciples is the same for us. Not, first of all, go to seminary and start preaching, but the application is that we, first of all, pray to the Lord of the harvest, to the master of his church. We pray because it is his work, and any work in the church is dependent on him. We pray because the gospel is the power of God to salvation for anyone who believes. And as Paul says in Romans 10, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Our Lord Jesus is the one gathering his church. So let's pray to the Lord of his harvest to continue sending men to proclaim the gospel that his word will greatly increase throughout the world. Well, Jesus tells his disciples to pray first, but then he also sends them out. In Matthew 10 he sends them out to go and preach and then after he rose from the dead he commissioned them in Matthew 28 to to make disciples of all nations so as you pray brothers and sisters consider how you can be a partner in this great work while God does not call everyone to leave their homes and dedicate their lives to gospel ministry He does call some, the need is great, and maybe he does want to use you for this awesome task. The gospel message is so glorious, and people are dying without hope. And Christ uses men to gather his church. So maybe he wants to use you. Either way, pray to the Lord of the Harvest. Well, Jesus is gathering his church, and he's also defending and preserving her. You just think about how the church has been attacked over the centuries. Think of how small the church was during the time of King Ahab. We heard about that this morning from 1 Kings 18. Or think of the persecution by Emperor Nero in the time of the Roman Empire. Or think of during the time of the Reformation, the Bible was hardly available for anyone to read in their own language. Or just think of the last year and a half, how the church has been attacked. How many buildings have been shut down and and are not opening up again. How many church communities have been plagued by division. It doesn't take a long look around the church today to see that it's attacked. And yet, Jesus preserves his church. In the midst of all these attacks, he is the good shepherd who does not flee when attacks come against his church. He is the good shepherd who loved his church, who loves his church so much that he has died for her. And more than the good shepherd, he is the king who is ruling over all the earth. The king who, as he sits at his father's right hand, he rules all the earth. All the peoples are in his control and his power is unlimited. Jesus defends and preserves his church. And friends, we need to be reminded of this, don't we? Because we can so often be caught up in human ideas of what the church is. We can often look at other people around us and and just get stuck there. How can he be a member or how can she be a member of the church? But the church is so much more than people. It's a gathering of people who have all been saved by Jesus. Jesus who is the master of his church. It's a group of people who all confess that Jesus is our Lord, that we find our life in him, that he gives us the promise of eternal life, life in abundance. We're a group of people who submit to him as our master. We're a group of people who confess that our only comfort is that we belong in life and death to this faithful master. So when we confess the the doctrine of the church, This article in the Apostles' Creed, this is the first thing we confess that Jesus, as the master of his church, is busy gathering, defending, and preserving her. If we think about the cathedral in northern Germany, in Cologne, just the centuries that it took to finish that project, it helps us to understand the multi-generational project of the church The Son of God is busy gathering, defending, and preserving His church across all centuries. And He's building it despite the storms that beat against it. Despite a constant need for more workers. Despite the weakness of the workers. Despite the weakness of the materials. Despite all this. The Lord Jesus is the master of His church. The one who gathers, defends, and preserves her. And as the master of the church... Jesus gathers us into his church. Jesus gathers us into his church. If you were baptized when you were a child, then you received that sign of water, which demonstrated that you were you were grafted or incorporated into the church. That's why we talk about baptized members. Baptism is a sign of your membership in the church. And as a baptized member, you're also called to respond to the promises God has given you, to believe that Jesus has died for you, that he is the owner of your life, and that you have been adopted by God into his family. In short, you're called to have faith. And this is why we have profession of faith. Hopefully we get to celebrate that in a few weeks' time. It's a response of faith to the promises that God has given at your baptism. And this response of faith is also an acknowledgement of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in your life. And this is what it means to be a living member, that we are alive in the life that the Spirit works in us. We are alive in the new life of the Spirit. And we can also see evidence of this. When the Spirit works in us, we can see the, the evidence of that. The Apostle John says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. And so the love in our hearts for our brothers and sisters is worked by the Spirit. And that's what it means to be a living member. We're alive in the new life of faith. We love one another. The Catechism adds, I believe that I forever shall remain a living member. Forever shall remain a living member. Well, this reminds us of what we heard last week about Lord's Day 20, about the Holy Spirit who will remain with me forever. If it was up to us, we could never be sure, could we? In fact, the Canons of Dort says, if it was up to us, that we would certainly fall away from faith. But, says the Canons of Dort, God's counsel cannot be changed. His promise cannot fail. The calling according to His purpose cannot be revoked. The merit, intercession, and preservation of Christ cannot be nullified. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit can neither be frustrated nor destroyed. And so he says, Article 9 in Chapter 5, of the, we can always be sure that we will remain living members of the church. You see, if we looked at ourselves, we would be disappointed. That's when doubts would start to arise. But when we keep our gaze fixed on the Good Shepherd, on him who is the master of the church and brings us into it, that's when we find comfort. He said in John 10 that no one can snatch the sheep out of his hand. Maybe as a child, you tried to snatch something out of your dad's hand, but you couldn't because your dad is holding on to that, some, that toy too, too tightly. You cannot snatch it from your dad's hand. Well, that's the same with Jesus and his sheep. He's holding on to you and no one can snatch you out of his hand. And so I can be assured that I personally am and forever will be a living member of this church. No one can snatch you from Jesus' hand. And isn't that an amazing thing to belong to the church of Jesus Christ? And yet maybe you've heard people say that they believe in God, but they don't believe in church. They believe in God, but they think it's okay if they don't actually belong to a church. Well, let's just bring this closer to home. Right now, we're about a year and a half down the road from multiple lockdowns from from being away from church for so long, and now we have, again, the opportunity to be gathering again as Christians. And maybe you ask yourself this question, why should I come back to church? Because live streaming is comfortable. It's convenient. Why does it matter if I sit at home and watch on the couch for the occasional service? Should I come to be with God's people? Well, dear congregation, the whole Bible is a story about Jesus dying for a united group of people, dying for a church. He didn't die for individuals here and there scattered throughout the world, but he died for a united group of people to be his bride. This is evident even in the New Testament word for church, ecclesia. It means an assembly, a group of people who gather together to worship God. As Christians, we're not meant to live separated lives, separated from each other, disconnected, because we have been joined together by Jesus, who has died for all of us. In Proverbs 18:1 echoes this sentiment. It says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We're meant to live in unity with each other. As Paul said, If all were a single member, where would the body be? Jesus has died for an entire group of people. And so we are called to be members of the church wherever it is that he has called us to live. So can you believe in God without being a member of the church? Well, it's an oxymoron. One of the church fathers said, If God is my father, then the church is my mother. Being united to Christ means that we will be united to all of his people, to other believers. And for us, that means we also desire to be with one another. We desire this unity with other believers as we have unity with Christ. And brothers and sisters, isn't it such a beautiful thing? When we come together as God's people, when we experience this spiritual unity we have because we all belong to Christ. Being a member of the church is an immense privilege. It's a privilege to be joined to Christ and to be members of His church. So the Master gathers us The master of the church, he gathers us into his church. And we can be assured that we always will remain living members of it. No one can snatch us from his hand. We'll see also that being a member of the church also comes with the responsibility of ministry. Because as living members, we are made alive in the new life of the Spirit to love and to serve other members in the church, just as we serve Jesus Christ. And this is one of the ways that Jesus has chosen to build his church, through the ministry of many people in the church. The word ministry, it really just means service. All of us here this afternoon follow our example of the Lord Jesus Christ, our master who has emptied himself and taken the form of a servant. We follow his example, becoming servant-minded so that we look out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. He, he calls us to seek opportunities to serve and to love our brothers and sisters. Well, this afternoon, we read from Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter four. And there we read that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Note that he says that he, the, all the office bearers of the church are equipping the saints for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. So that means all of the members of the body of the church, all the saints do ministry. The saints serve each other in the church. What does this ministry look like? The saints build up the body of Christ. Paul is using the imagery of a building where everyone chips in. It's a building which is the result of many different talents and skills. If you think of that cathedral in northern Germany, it was built by many different people. Some worked on the foundation. Others had special skills to work on the bells. And others were able to cut stone. There were so many different talents which were employed to produce that magnificent piece of architecture. As we look around at the, the church here this afternoon, there are so many gifts that are here. Here. There are so many gifts that each of you have and, and the Lord wants to use these gifts to build up the church. And so the question that lies before us now is, how will you use your gifts to build up the body of Christ? As the Catechism says that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members, for the building up. There's many ways that the church of Christ can be built up. Maybe it's as simple as babysitting a a young family who just have super busy all the time so that they can spend more time in in God's word and devotions. Or maybe you could mentor a younger brother or sister. Maybe it's a visit to a lonely brother or sister. Maybe it's reading the Bible one-to-one with someone as a, a shared Bible study as a way of building both of you up. Maybe it's reaching out to your non-Christian friend or other evangelism. There are so many ways of building up the body of Christ. And how, will you use, how can you use your gifts to build up the body of Christ in love? Well, notice in Ephesians 4, Paul says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So there's a goal for this building each other up. Just like a a beautiful cathedral one day will be finished and it will be admired for all to see. The process of building it leads to that final day when it's completed. So Christ is working towards that final day when the church is completed. And Paul tells us that the goal is the fullness of Christ or maturity in Christ. And so one of the ways we grow into maturity in Christ is by knowing Him. So note what Paul is saying—that we all teach each other about Christ. That's what ministry or service is all about: pointing each other to Christ, growing in in knowledge of our Saviour together, and in the unity of faith. It doesn't just necessarily mean knowledge about Jesus, but by serving other people, we give the example to show Jesus to our brother and sister. And to minister to each other, we also need to speak openly and honestly to each other about our walk with God. The church is is not a place where we need to hide all our secrets, where we pretend we're all perfect, where we all dress nicely and pretend our lives are in order. I understand a few ladies in this church are doing a, a book study on the book Side by Side by Ed Welch. And one of the things he says in that book is that as humans, we do find it hard to open up and And admit our need. Admit that we need other people for help. But being open about our lives. Being open about our walk with God. About the joys. The challenges. That gives others the opportunity to minister to us. That gives others the opportunity to serve us. And to point us to Christ. Because we are all still broken people. We are all still being made more and more like Jesus every day. The church is not a group of perfect people the church is a group of saved sinners who are still struggling every day and so friends we can be honest about with each other about our weakness because this gives the opportunity for our brothers and sisters to build us up as we're open about things we struggle with that we can all then work together to grow up into maturity in christ and so as the body of christ is built up In this way, as we serve each other. And then in this way, we will grow up into him who is the head, into Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So brothers and sisters, let's continue to build each other up in love. Let's continue to grow in in our knowledge of our Savior and the unity of faith. And let's also remember that as the master of the church, our Lord Jesus continues to gather, defend, and preserve His church using each one of us. Because as we wrap up this afternoon, we've, we've seen who the master is of the church. And let's keep Him the focus of the church. Because we are members of His church only through Him. And through him, we also have the opportunity to serve him by serving others in the church. And as a beautiful cathedral one day will be finished so that it can be admired by all, so the church of Jesus Christ will one day be presented to the bridegroom, the master of his church, the church that he has died for, the church that is washed in his blood and clothed in his righteousness. This church will one day be perfectly united in praise to our Master and to our Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. This church is His masterpiece, built up with many different nations and tribes and languages from around the world, a vast multitude, which one day will be standing before the throne and before the Lamb. He is worthy, and to Him be all glory and honor and praise. Amen.